Welcome to the Michigan Out of Doors podcast. Since 1937, MUCC has been committed to conserve, protect, and enhance Michigan's natural resources and outdoor heritage. Now, here's your host, Mike Avery. Welcome once again to the Michigan Out of Doors podcast, a presentation of our friends from MUCC, Michigan United Conservation Clubs, a group that I stand behind, I support, and I am a member of MUCC. Dan Eichinger, the executive director of MUCC, joining us on this edition of the Michigan Out of Doors podcast. Dan, welcome back. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. Hey, always a pleasure. And, you know, I... I feel like every time you and I talk, there's always something going on. Your plate is always full at MUCC. It's, uh, there's, there's, uh, you know, summer is supposed to be our slow time. And, uh, you know, we're just about as busy as we are during the rest of the year, it seems like now. So there's never, you know, we never lack for things to do around here. So is, is, is that a function of what, Dan? Is it the fact that you have a small staff, so you're all wearing many hats? Is it a function that there are actually more things going on? Or, or what can we attribute that to, the, the year-round busyness? Yeah, there, we, we, we have such a um, kind of a broad offering of programs and programming that we do. So obviously, you know, during the fall months, the winter and spring, a lot of our, you know, a lot of our attention and focus is on, you know, the legislature and, and working through that. But of course, in the summertime, we have our youth camp that we run down in uh, Chelsea, Michigan. And um, so that consumes a lot of our education staff's time. And then we're running outreach programs and habitat programs um, pretty much all throughout the year. So, you know, the sometimes the work and the nature of the things that we're doing is a little bit different during the year, but it seems like the pace is always very fast because we just we try and put a lot of programs out there and a lot of opportunities for people to engage with the organization, engage with the business of conservation, and get them more connected to nature. You know, and oftentimes I think of MUCC working at the state level, but you guys also reach out to the feds. You have uh, you have um, dealings with the feds as well. Yeah, we, we absolutely do. Our our profile at the federal level has increased uh, quite a bit over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, I think that's a function of the fact that, uh, you know, Michigan is identified as a great outdoor state. Um, we have a very large and active sportsman's community here. And MUCC, I think, is, you know, largely the reason for why we're so organized and vocal. And that's enabled us to participate in some pretty important conversations uh, with Congress. I get contacted by members of Congress on a fairly regular basis. And um, I gave some testimony here about a month or so ago on um, um, uh, House uh, Committee, House U.S. House Subcommittee on the Cormorant issue as they're considering uh, restoring uh, some of the management authority that we need to be able to, to do some lethal and non-lethal control for cormorants. Uh, that was taken away from us by the courts a couple of years ago, and we're working hard to try and get that back. Um, you know, obviously we work on the Asian carp issue, but there's a there's a really big heavy lift that's um, kind of teed up in Congress uh, that we're pretty interested in. It's called uh, the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, and this is um, a piece of legislation that was introduced by Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, um, who is the the spouse of John Dingell, who is uh, I think most people recognize one of the leading conservation champions that we've ever had in Congress. And uh, MUCC is is uh, getting pretty active in trying to um, generate support for Recovering America's Wildlife Act, or RAWA is the acronym that we're using. 
And what that bill would do is it takes, it, it would direct a portion of the revenue that's generated from offshore oil and gas development in the U.S. And um, there are tons, tens of billions of dollars that are generated from uh, oil, offshore oil and gas revenue. So think about um, oil and gas off of the the coast, the coastal, uh, coastal oil and gas development in the United States. So not in the Great Lakes, but you know, up and down like the Atlantic coast, um, the Gulf of Mexico, that kind of thing. And right now, what all of, you know, the majority of that money is just going into the sort of the general fund for spending by the U.S. government. But we know that there are uh, there are huge needs for us to fund conservation for priority species. Um, in particular species that we think might be kind of slipping or trending down towards um, that sort of danger zone where they might be candidates for listing um, under the Endangered Species Act as threatened or endangered. And I think most people in Michigan recognize that the ESA is a really important piece of legislation, but it's not functioning very well because it's awfully hard to downlist or delist species once they get on. And all of the sort of the legal requirements and the legal and the um, programmatic interventions and that kind of thing that happen once once an organism is listed as threatened or endangered are hugely invasive and very disruptive on the landscape for management of other species. And so what what RAWA, Recovering America's Wildlife Act, is designed to do is to take a portion of that offshore oil and gas revenue and direct it specifically to fund um, uh, priority conservation through the um, wildlife action plans that the Michigan DNR and other states have developed to try and intervene and do some good conservation work before a species would slide into that candidacy for listing as threatened or endangered. Why oil company revenue? Is it in some way retribution for environmental damage that they've done, or is it just a, a low-hanging fruit? They're there and they've got a lot of money. It's just it's um, it's it's money that's collected currently by the by the federal government, and so it's just it's basically dedicating a portion of an undedicated revenue stream that's already going in to the federal government. Gotcha. Um, and it's um, the way that it's contemplated to function is um, with like the Pittman Robertson or the Dingle Johnson monies. Those are excise taxes that are kind of automatically apportioned to state fish and wildlife agencies, we would like to see uh, this program function that way. And that's a pretty important, uh, there's a pretty important reason for that. A lot of, I think a lot of us um, who, who have to follow politics and public policy very closely, and, and even folks who try and avoid it, um, know that Congress isn't functioning uh, at a very high level right now. And so by getting dedicated funding for wildlife and for these wildlife plans, to flow where the money would flow in the same way that it does for Pittman Robertson and Dingle Johnson is very important because that's non-discretionary funding. So that means it's not subject to the annual appropriations process in Congress. And that's uh, particularly important when we're talking about doing wildlife conservation because the arc of that work is, is really long. Um, and doesn't always, you can't always wrap, you know, a project up within a single sort of fiscal year for the federal government. So making it non-discretionary so that Congress can't get in there and mess around with, with, um, with that funding source is really important. And in the long run, it's going to save a lot of money um, and it's going to save a lot of anguish and a lot of heartache if we can keep some of these species off the endangered species list. And the other benefit to that 
is right now, you know, I think most most of the folks who listen to the podcast uh, know that uh, hunters and anglers pay about 85 to 90 percent of uh, all conservation work that happens in, in Michigan and, and across the United States. And the demand for uh, doing conservation work on um, species that are other than, you know, game and sport fish is pretty high. Um, but the dollar amounts that we're talking about aren't aren't changing. So when we have focused historically a lot of our sportsman dollars on paying for all conservation, we're starting to, you know, we're getting to the point where the available dollars are getting way outpaced by the need to do the conservation work. So if Congress were to pass RAWA and it were to get signed into law, what that would do is greatly expand the purchasing power for hunter and angler generated dollars where we might be able to focus more of those hunter and angler dollars on game and sport fish conservation work because we will have opened up a new revenue stream to pay for primarily non-game conservation work and that's been a need that we've we've um we've had for a long time and this is this is a pretty ripe opportunity to try and address it if if you gave the dollar amount before i apologize but what what type of numbers are we talking about dan for the state of Michigan, it would mean about $30 million uh, per year additional that would be available. Um, across the U.S., it's like a $1.3 billion program, uh, which is a big number. Um, but in the, you know, in, the, in, the, in the scheme of the federal budget, it's, you know, it's more or less a rounding error, not even a very big rounding error. Um, but it would mean $30 million of new money dedicated for conservation to the state of Michigan. Um, so that, you know, you think about just take like the wildlife division and the DNR, for example, that's probably, you know, right around, you know, 70% of the total budget for the wildlife division that we'd be able to bring in um, and focus on on priority, you know, species that are in, in high need of some conservation work. So potentially this is a big deal. Big time. Very big deal. Hmm. Very big deal. So what we've been working on and what we're, we're going to be doing a little bit more of here over the next couple of weeks is, you know, kind of putting this on people's radar screen. It's sort of flown under the radar a little bit. Um, there are, I think, something on the order of like 80 co-sponsors currently in the House, which is a good number. Um, we've got a handful of folks from Michigan's con- congressional delegation, both Republicans and Democrats, who have uh, signed on as co-sponsors. And, and we're going to be trying to do some communication with the other members of Michigan's delegation and let them know that, hey, this is this is a big deal and a big win for um, for conservation in general. But it's a, it's a big opportunity for us to extend the purchasing power of sportsman's dollars right here at home. We'd like you to be on that bill. Uh, so we're going to be starting to send some of those messages out um, to the members of our congressional delegation and, and do some work to educate our members and, and other, uh, other folks who are interested in hunting, fishing, and conservation about how important this piece of legislation could be. So what would you like us to do? Is there something we can do at this point to help this out? Well, the, the easiest thing that folks can do is just to contact their member of Congress and ask them to sign on as a co-sponsor of House Resolution 4647, H.R. 4647. And um, that would be a big help. The other thing that they can do is uh, stay keyed in to MUCC.org and our Facebook page, um, facebook.com slash MUCC1937. We're going to put all kinds of information up there about RAWA um, so that people can learn and, and, and get kind of familiar with uh, what's being proposed there. And then uh, we'll try and provide links where people can directly um, uh, click on that link and then find out 
uh, how to get in contact with their member of Congress. This is the Michigan Out of Doors podcast. We're talking with MUCC Executive Director Dan Eichinger. As Dan said, if you want to learn more about this issue, the uh, Recovering uh, America's Wildlife Act, H.R. 4647, or anything else, the website MUCC.org. That's MUCC.org. The Facebook page, Facebook.com slash MUCC1937. And on Instagram at MUCC1937. Uh, Dan, a lot of things kind of on the radar right now. CWD, chronic wasting disease, something we have talked about many times before, but those con- uh, those conversations are going to continue. Uh, the NRC, we should learn uh, what they're thinking about here in just the next few weeks, next couple of weeks, in fact. Yeah, next Thursday um, is, a, is a pretty important meeting. Um, the Natural Resources Commission is likely to act on a wildlife conservation order that's going to kind of set forth what the new regulatory framework is going to be in those areas, uh, those 16 counties in particular that have been impacted by chronic wasting disease, and then more generally um, some other changes that might be necessary for uh, the the rest of the sort of the rest of the hunting public that uh, doesn't hunt in one of those counties. Um, but that's uh, that's going to be a pretty important moment, um, and there are. You know, there's some pretty big things that we're going to have to think about and have to reconcile as a hunting community. You know, the biggest challenge, uh, I think, is going to be figuring out a way for um, for us to encourage more antlerless deer harvest, particularly in those uh, 16 counties. You know, chronic wasting disease, I'm not a... Uh, I'm not a wildlife veterinarian by any by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a it's one of those diseases that's you know sort of density assisted, and in a lot of parts of southern Michigan uh, in Zone Three, we've got you know we've been kind of blessed with really high deer numbers, um, but when you incorporate a disease um, on top of you know really high populations of deer, it can become pretty problematic, and that's. That's kind of what we're running up against right now, and so the the challenge is going to be to figure out ways that, you know, we can incentivize um, members of the deer hunting public to not only stay engaged and keep hunting and keep hunting particularly in those areas, um, but to try and take some antlerless deer so that we can get that population down a little bit. Um, you know, I've heard some folks that have claimed that, you know, what the DNR wants to propose is eradicating the deer herd in those areas and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, that simply isn't true. Um, but what absolutely is true is that we do need to reduce deer populations in some of those areas. So if you've been accustomed to seeing 40 and 50 deer or more in a soybean field in September, um, they're fun to look at and it's fun to see and it, you know, kind of gets the juices flowing for the upcoming hunting season. But we have to recognize that that's not particularly good for the long-term health of the deer herd. And so we're we're going to have to reorient folks' expectations in some of those areas about, you know, what the right number of deer is and what a healthy deer herd looks like. And that's that's going to be a challenge. I would like to think that a situation, a, a, a disease like CWD, chronic wasting disease, that would kind of bring our hunting community together, that we would all, and maybe this is a pie-in-the-sky type uh, attitude, but, you know, bring us all together so we could fight against this. I feel like it's doing exactly the opposite. I feel like it's starting to, to break the, the hunting community even further apart, and we're seeing a lot of people now who have come out of the woodwork. Boy, everybody's an expert on CWD. Here's what we should be doing. The DNR is doing this all wrong. It's really it's created a big rift in, in the community uh, that we don't need right now. 
you know, I think I think that's true on the one hand, and and actually on the other hand, I think you know there there is some cohesiveness at least in the hunting community. I think that you know to me uh, the the fringe voices that concern me are the folks who say that you know CWD isn't something that we need to worry about. It's some kind of manufactured crisis, um, and there are some pretty prominent voices out there that are sort of parroting that line, and that that does an awful lot of damage to. Um, our ability to come together and 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 work together to try and and deal with this disease, where I see a lot of the um, you know de- debate and a lot of the um, you know a lot of the you know drawing of red lines and that kind of thing is around you know is wrestling with how to best you know how to best deal with this disease. And the you know it would be ideal if we had a you know kind of had a prescription for dealing with chronic wasting disease, and we don't have that. And I think that folks you know need to be kind of fair to the department in the sense that you know these these folks are are, are working really hard to try and figure out you know some way to deal with this disease. Nobody in the United States or Canada has figured out how to manage it and how to manage it in this context. And so it would be great if we could, you know, go to the doctor's office and they get out their notepad and they say, take two of these and call me in the morning and you don't have to worry about this anymore. Um, but there's so much that we don't know about how this disease uh, interacts with the landscape, how, you know, herd dynamics and deer movement and deer behavior and, you know, buck to doe ratios and all those things that, uh, contribute to how you know a local deer herd functions and interacts. There's a lot that we don't know how you know about how this disease um, interfaces with some of those factors, and that that's scary. And I it, you know it's scary for us who kind of work in the the advocacy and um, you know the wildlife conservation space. And I know that it's you know it's deeply troubling to the folks in the Department of Natural Resources because they. They know that people want to have an answer, and you know an an, an answer is not forthcoming. And so we're going to have to try, you know, try some different things, um, and uh, you know, put some you know put some different approaches on the landscape that you know might work or they might not work. And we just have to recognize that this is you know we got to play the long game here, and that means that you know some of the strategies that that get employed are going to work. And people are going to like them. There are, you know, some of those strategies are not going to work, and people aren't going to like them. Some of the strategies that don't work, people might really love. Um, some of the strategies that do work, people might really hate. So we've got a, you know, we've we've got a an environment that is, um, you know, so unsettled right now. And I think I think it's born out of a lot of fear. And I think, you know, we, but it's fear for the right reasons. I mean, we're I think quite literally talking about the future of the deer herd in Michigan. Um, and so the stakes are awfully high to get this right. Well, one thing we do know is this is not a short-term situation. This is going to be with us for a while. Well, that's exactly right. You know, this is not um, this is not more or less an uh, like kind of an episodic type thing. Like you might characterize EHD mm-hmm. as, a, as sort of an episodic disease. It happens under the right conditions of or the wrong conditions of weather, and it has, you know, it has you know, substantial and in some some places pretty devastating impact on local deer populations. 
this is a disease, this is a long cresting wave. So, uh, you know, what we're going to see is, you know, if we're unable to manage that prevalence rate, if we're unable to manage the spread, it's, it's something that's going to build not over a year or two years, but it's something that's going to build over 10 and 20 years and 30 years and longer to where, uh, you know, and that's, that's what we're trying to prevent, you know, so the, you know, looking, you know, we've got to, we've got to orient our minds around the time scale that we're really looking at here. And this is a, this is a disease we're going to, we're going to have to think about measuring in terms of decades rather than measuring in terms of years, which is probably a, uh, you know, kind of a, a frame of mind that we're more accustomed to dealing with because you know, we talk a lot about EHD and it's something that happens every couple of years or, or what have you. And this is going to crest a lot longer. And so it's going to take a lot of patience and it's going to take a lot of, um, a lot of sort of committed engagement. And, you know, this in a lot of ways is just going to become the new normal you know, for the foreseeable future in some of these places in Michigan. Again, this is the Michigan Out of Doors podcast, a presentation of MUCC, Michigan United Conservation Clubs. To learn more, check out the website MUCC.org. That's MUCC.org. The Facebook page, Facebook.com slash MUCC1937. And on Instagram at MUCC1937. Again, we're talking with Executive Director Dan Eichinger. Uh, Dan, uh, among the list of things on your uh, your future here, um, this is a political year in Michigan. Now, we like to keep politics out of the outdoors, but unfortunately we have to work in a political system. How do you guys deal with that? Well, we focus, you know, we focus on the policy. And, uh, you know, we are, we don't, we're fortunate that we don't really get engaged in uh, political campaigns or endorsing candidates or doing any of that kind of stuff. If if you want to talk about conservation and you want to, you know, you want to reflect the values and priorities of our membership, I don't care if you're a, a Republican, if you're a Democrat, if you're an alien from Mars, we'll, we'll figure out a way to work with you. Um, but, you know, so we focus mostly on policy and and try and you know kind of situate our policy discussions in a way um, that are more or less sort of inoculated from campaign politics and, and that type of thing. And yeah, it's an even year and it's an off presidential year, which means that we've got um, we're going to have a lot of turnover in, in the Michigan State Senate. Um, the entire House of Representatives is up for uh, up for election as they are every two years. We're going to have a new governor. We'll have a new lieutenant governor. We're going to have a new attorney general. Um, and all of those, you know, all of those things mean that um, it, it, as it happens every couple of years, we're going to, you know, we're going to lose some folks who have a lot of institutional knowledge and a lot of institutional history and have a long, kind of a longstanding relationship with some of these issues. Um, they're going to get replaced with folks who may not have that background. Um, so the learning curve is awfully steep for new members in particular um, when they're getting into office and they're trying to kind of figure out um, what their what their role in Lansing is going to be and the kinds of issues that they're going to want to engage in. And so we work pretty hard to try and, uh, you know, lower that learning curve as much as possible. So shortly after... Um, you know, shortly after the elections, once the new legislature is seated, um, we, with a lot of our colleagues on the Sportsman's Caucus Advisory Council, put together a briefing session for members and staff. So we spend a couple of hours in an afternoon and we walk through um, kind of the big ticket issues. We orient folks to some of the history 
on uh, some issues because these things, you know, it's not like it's not like dealing with a you know maybe like a tax issue or a particular funding issue or that kind of thing where it's sort of kind of time bound within a you know a two year time frame. The issues that we talk about conservation, those things have oftentimes a much longer lifespan than than like a two year legislative term or a four year legislative term, and so why we do things the way that we do, you know, where an issue is in its sort of in its life cycle um, is important. It's important for us to try and impart as much of that history and context to, to new members because they may not understand, you know, why we do a, something a certain way, you know, unless you've kind of lived with an issue for a few years, you might not know that and you might not know where to seek that out. So we try and engage new members very early on in the in the year to introduce them to to not only MUCC but to the partners that we work with um, and then to a lot of the issues that they're going to have to contend with whether it's understanding the history of something like a chronic wasting disease or why we have um, professional science-based natural resources management and why um, Michigan's hunting public has stood up three times in the last 20 years to defend that um, you know all of those kinds of things are pretty important touch points for new legislators so that they can get in and be immediately impactful and and immediately part of, um, you know, part of, uh, you know, this real collaborative environment that we've created within the hunting community. And some of these legislators might not have any background at all in the outdoors. That's very true. You know, we have, uh, you know, there are, there's, you know, relatively few members of the legislature buy hunting licenses, uh, a few more buy fishing licenses every year. Um, a lot of, you know, maybe a lot of folks have, you know, we've got a handful of folks that are pretty ardent uh, outdoors people. They get out and they hunt a lot. They go fishing a lot. They, you know, they camp, they ride ORVs, they do whatever, you know, they participate in those things. Um, but one of the things that we try and do is is create opportunities for people to learn about those things as well. So we try and provide experiences where people can go out and fish or they can go out and um, one of the, I think one of the best events is done by the Hunting Dock Federation, uh, the Michigan Bear Hunters, and the UP Bear Houndsmen, where they invite legislators to come out on a training day in August. And so legislators get to go and hop in a truck and see hound dogs uh, working bears and treeing bears and understanding kind of how that how that process works and see that as a real kind of family-oriented activity and, and just sort of demystify some of these things that, you know, people might conjure an image in their mind's eye of what hunters do or how hunters behave or what anglers do or how they behave. Uh, but until you've had an opportunity to go out and sit in a boat with somebody or sit in the truck or sit in a duck blind or a deer blind, um, that's, that's all it is. It's sort of an image. It's, it's sort of an image in your mind. Once you've had that experience, your connection to those people and your connection to those activities is much more, um, it's much more personal and it's much more relatable. And that's, you know, that's so important um, when we're going and talking to the legislature about, um, you know, a potential regulation that might affect hunting dogs, for example. Well, if you've, if you've never hunted over a dog, you've never seen dogs work, you've never seen people interact and care for and handle their hunting dogs, that can be a very kind of mysterious process to you. But once you've seen that and you've had that experience, it's like, you know, you only have to hunt over a dog one time to see kind of how special that experience is. Um, so those that you know that's all part of what we try and do is is to help develop interest among members in these activities and just show them um, kind of who Michigan's hunting and fishing community is and give them an opportunity to directly engage in these activities. 
Dan, before we let you go, let's talk about the importance of membership. All of these things that you've talked about are made possible because you have a broad and large membership. Why should somebody join MUCC? Uh, It is our job every single day to wake up in the morning and worry about what your legislators in Michigan, what your legislators in Congress are doing for, um, for conservation, for hunting and fishing. MUCC is that voice. So, you know, if you care about, you know, all the things that we do in the outdoors are governed by laws and rules and regulations. And if you want to have an influence, a voice and know about those things, you got to be a member of MUCC because you have an opportunity to directly impact and influence and comment on those things. But we do more than that. If you care about getting young people involved and engaged in the outdoors, we have a whole host of, you know, youth engagement and youth outdoor education opportunities through our youth camp and some of the hands-on experiences that we provide to young people all throughout the year to engage with nature. We communicate about the outdoors. So if you're a member of MUCC, you're going to get Michigan Out of Doors magazine. You're also going to then be connected to a lot of the digital, um, a lot of the digital platforms that we operate on, and that's the best place I think, the best place anywhere to get up to the, kind of up to the minute information on what's happening in the natural resources world, um, keep you up to date and informed on on what's going on. And then we also, you know, it's also important for us to go out and actually get our hands dirty and be partners in doing on-the-ground conservation work. So we have habitat programs that are designed to bring people from, you know, kind of from the um, from their living rooms out into a state game area, state forest, uh, 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 into the state forest system to do actual on-the-ground conservation projects that are benefiting um, fish and game species that we like to hunt in the fall but are you know important to have and preserve on the landscape. So MUCC is an organization that's operating on all those fronts, but that's only possible if we have people who make the decision to go on an MUCC.org, uh, click the join button, and become a member and join us, uh, join us in this very important work. Dan Eichinger, always a pleasure. Appreciate you joining us on this edition of the Michigan Out of Doors podcast. Again, if somebody wants to learn more, check out the website, MUCC.org, MUCC.org. The Facebook page, facebook.com slash MUCC1937. And on Instagram at MUCC1937. And we'll talk with you next time right here on the Michigan Out of Doors podcast.